0: good afternoon to you. Well, Jan, congratulations to you, your family, on your older brother, Bruce McLaren, being inducted into the Auto Racing Hall of Fame at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum in the USA. Again, just more recognition of his wonderful achievements, not just as a driver, but also as a motorsport innovator.
1: I guess uh, with Indianapolis and Bruce getting into that Hall of Fame is... Maybe an over, overdue accolade because he certainly was at the forefront there of, of changing the, the face of how Indianapolis races were done in the day.
0: How special is Indianapolis for you and the McLaren family? Bruce's cars, they won there in 1972, 1974 and 1976. The great race, the Indianapolis 500.
1: It's, it's a very special event that he, that, and that he was involved with Indianapolis was, was fantastic. So very, very proud that that recognition has come.
0: I want to just go back and talk a little bit about the life of Bruce, and talk a little bit about the family. You were his younger sister. Your memories of your older brother growing up.
1: Well, it's sort of uh, being, the, being the younger sister, sort of in, and fluffing around, shall we say, in the background. It it was a special time though, because we we went motor racing as a family. It wasn't just Bruce; it was something that Dad had done right from when he was a boy. So it was a natural progression for us to sort of spend particularly me all my time at sort of hill climbs and and motor races and beach races and and ardmore and it was it, it but it was a wonderful upbringing and um we had a lot of fun, and I can still recall wonderful days at that murawai at Mura White, the old hill climb there, playing with the likes of Sir Tom Clark's children and Ross Jensen's children, and um, there was no safety bars or, <laughs> or safety race tape or anything in those days. We were just allowed to wander around, but we, I think, respected the danger, and that because we were brought up with it, and, and, and uh, it was special
0: times. Was Bruce always somebody who was curious? Did he always like to tinker with things? Was he sort of a natural engineer?
1: Very much a natural engineer. And I think that was probably the the inherent from Dad having the service station and the workshop and, and Bruce growing up as a very, well, from a young baby, sort of in the flat above the service station where the trust has been for the last sort of 15 to 16 years. And uh, so he, he had a spanner in his hand probably before he had a um, a rattle, I would think.
0: When Bruce first officially raced at the age of 14 in a restored Austin Seven Ulster in a hill climb event. Did you sense from day one that he had a bit of an X factor as a driver? That there was a point of difference that he just had that gift.
1: I th- I think there has to be an X factor in, into that sort of era because. You see the young boys coming through today, and uh, the likes of Owen Evans' boys and and Brendan Hartley, both of them are brothers, two lots of brothers there, and one just has the edge. And how you define it when they're coming through is is difficult to watch, as I've seen both of the Hartley boys and the Evans boys sort of come through the kart sport era, and um, it's it's only a, just a fine edge, but it's there must be a driving power. And behind there as well for
0: them. There was always high risk associated with motorsport in the 1950s, 1960s and 1970s. In fact, a couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to speak to another one of our great drivers, Chris Amon. And he was telling me that, you know, they would start the F1 season and all the drivers would sit in a room. And they would know that probably at the end of the year, maybe 25% of them would not make it through the season. 25% of the drivers could end up being killed. Did that concern your parents? Did they ever try and talk Bruce out of it? What was their attitude to him wanting to be a professional driver?
1: Maybe because Dad had had raced himself that Mum accepted it and Dad knew the risks. I guess we all know any high-profile sport has a risk factor in it. I guess we all say to ourselves, well, it's not going to happen to us. And I, I often get asked this question, but my feelings that, you know, you you mustn't ever focus on it and the drivers never focused on it. Um, they wouldn't talk of it. They accepted how terrible it was. But it's like, for example, there's the ordinary old car accidents every day of the week, pedestrians getting run over. Does that stop you or I driving a car or walking across the road? Uh, you have to have faith and in, in, in trust in your fellow drivers and hope that it never does happen to you. And, and so with Bruce, it didn't even happen while he was racing, pure testing. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a, something you mustn't focus on. Um, otherwise, Edwin Hillary would never have clowned it, clowned, climbed Everest. Um, same principle.
0: The real breakthrough came in the 1958 New Zealand Grand Prix. He was noticed by Australian driver Jack Brabin, who invited him to come and drive in one of his cars. I think his first entry into maybe F1 was the German Grand Prix in 1958. How proud were your parents?
1: Oh, they were absolutely over the moon. It was it was incredible. And and I think for Dad, and even to see today, the, when the young boys get through to that level, it's just fantastic. Um, it was a, probably a dream for Dad to have seen him get that far and be chosen to go on that uh, first driver to Europe scheme, at, uh, especially as he didn't even finish the Grand Prix race. But uh, the, the friendship with Jack Bram had got extremely close by that stage and Jack would see the potential in him.
0: And he, in 1959 when he won the United States Grand Prix, he was the youngest ever to win a Grand Prix, just 22 years of age, 104 days. Remarkable.
1: Remarkable, and an amazing feat that uh, the length of it still stands today.
0: When Bruce died on that fateful day, 2nd of June 1970, how devastating was it for you, your older sister and your parents? I mean, I've got two young kids now and I just can't imagine what it would be like to lose a child or to see one of my kids lose a sibling.
1: I think harder for mum and dad than it was for me per se because uh, they say parents are never conditioned to lose their children and it's not the natural progression of life. But uh, it was devastating to them and uh, a big challenge for my sister, elder sister and I to actually sort of help them manage that grief. But one, one thing about when somebody of such... Um, abilities and persona and charisma that that he had the the friendship around it probably is very special because it you don't grieve alone you grieve with um the world and the the, the wonderful friends that he had and the, the McLaren old boys as we call them um very very special and that specialness and friendship, I often say I may have lost a brother, but I, I gained this extended family. And I've just spent a couple of days in Melbourne with um, a couple of the McLaren Old Boys and having a, a wonderful sneak look at this new documentary that Roger Donaldson's put together with Fraser Brown. And the, the rawness that comes across still from the, the two, some of the McLaren Old Boys in that documentary. How was the... uh, it's like it was yesterday.
0: <laughs> H- how was the news broken?
1: Um, Phil Kerr rang up her mum and dad in the middle of the night. Um, but having said that, mum, who wasn't into psyche things and, and anything of that nature, she sat up in bed, evidently bolt upright, and, and said to dad, Something's wrong. He said, well, What is it? What is it? She said, Something's wrong. And within five minutes, Phil phoned. So she had a premonition there, obviously, and um that phone call from Phil it was, was not not long after the so it must have been it was before one o'clock in the morning and um and then my sister and I didn't find out until i think it was about half past five that Dad finally came and woke uh, woke up up the <laughs> two girls in different houses with our children and everything um I guess they went through a few formalities, I think because there was a a police phone call as well. But yes, I can still close my eyes and um, uh, see my father standing at the front door. And he didn't have to tell me. He didn't have to tell me. We, he would not have been there unless there was something very yeah, wrong.
0: Your brother Bruce once famously said that to do something well is so worthwhile that to die trying to do it better cannot be foolhardy. It would be a waste of life to do nothing with one's ability. For I feel that life is measured in achievement, not in years alone. When that surfaced, did that bring some sort of solace to you and to your family? Did that make things a little bit easier? Did it make you realise that Bruce died doing what he loved and there was a philosophy around what he had achieved in such a short time and it was about celebrating his life, not mourning him?
1: We always realised he certainly died doing what he loved and there's no better way to go in, in, in hindsight. He he wrote that as a eulogy for his teammate Timmy Mayer, um, never realizing that he was writing his own eulogy, shall we say? And those words are so inspiring to anybody in any situation. And the number of people that have over the years asked us, "Can they use those words?" And uh, and we offer, you know, it's and motor racing takes those words to heart. But, you know, life is measured in achievement, not in years alone. And, and that can relate to anything. We often use it with the young school children and everything. It's sort of like uh, you've got to do something and you've got to do it well.
0: You're listening to Veach on Sport. My guest is Jan McLaren, the younger sister of Bruce McLaren. We are celebrating the fact that Bruce McLaren this week was inducted into the Indianapolis Auto Racing Hall of Fame. Jan. So many people just remember Bruce as the driver, the Formula One driver. His, and for a younger generation, his name associated with what, one of the great Formula One teams. But what was his legacy as an engineer? What were some of the innovations that he brought to motorsport that are now well and truly established and part of the high-performance side or the everyday side of motorsport?
1: We always think of him, and well, I personally always think of him as a designer and the engineer and then the driver. Um, every one of those complemented each other, and to be where they were at, at the time and the the innovations that were going on in car design and such, and to be the one at the leading edge of sort of taking the cars from the, the big front engine ones to the rear engine ones, uh, they, they were almost laughed at. Coopers were doing it for sure, but they started developing more, and the bringing in the engineers from the aircraft industry was was um, a huge leap forward for for Bruce to do. He was one of the earlier ones to do it. The downforce and and the likes of all that didn't come into their equation. They had no such thing as wind tunnels and everything. They just knew knew what worked and what didn't, so. Uh, incredible development at that point in time and the high wings on the Can-Am cars Uh, they weren't the first to try it but they were the first to be successful with it. and that was it was pure innovation and seat of the pants stuff and uh, build the cars strong enough to cope with those forces and and develop them further so fabulous times fabulous times to to be there and Yes, and uh, (laughs) his engineering background, and that obviously stood him in good stead.
0: And that sort of growing up in New Zealand, that sort of she'll be right attitude, a big part of all of that as well. I mean, he was the quintessential New Zealander, wasn't he?
1: Oh, absolutely, definitely the number eight wire person. And I think the New Zealand mechanic today, and engineer, is still so well regarded throughout the the whole of motorsport scene. And you see an awful lot of them still in the indie teams. And I think that's still something that's inherent to the New Zealand because particularly in those earlier days, the English mechanics, for example, worked on one piece of the car and that was that you weren't allowed to do anything else. That was the way the unions controlled it over there. The the Kiwi mechanic, we had to do everything. Um, and if they didn't have it, they, they built it. And, uh, and I'm still seeing that in... Some of the um, young guys today, and particularly the engineering students at Auckland and the SAE engineering project team, Um, they're wonderful guys. Everything has to be made and done, And, and I've seen students go on from that university program. So the innovation for, for Kiwi engineers is still there. Look at Peter Beck and the rocket for Google. It's sort of like, that's still cutting edge stuff. And, and we, little old New Zealand, we take on the world to, to do these things. So that spirit is, and um, sense of doing something and doing it properly and doing it well and achieving it is, is still very much there.
0: If Bruce were alive today, and he could have a look at the legacy. His name is associated with so many things, schools, school halls. There has been streets and roads named after him. Obviously, it is one of the biggest brands, and I use that word with the greatest endearment in terms of F1 and motorsport. Would he be humbled? Would he be embarrassed by it all? He'd
1: be embarrassed. He'd be blown away that the things have got so big, and, and I guess we... Well, as the family is still much the same, it's, it's a wonderful sense of pride, never embarrassment. It, it's, it's amazing and uh, I think when you stop and look at what he achieved in his short period of time, he was still just Bruce. Um, he was there for everybody and um, yeah, it just he, he just took it, took it in his stride as so many Kiwi achievers do which, which is wonderful.
0: And Jan, what about Bruce's legacy today within McLaren F One and within McLaren Autos? Do they recognise Bruce? Do they appreciate and acknowledge the heritage and how and where they came from?
1: Um, in the in the earlier days, when I say the earlier days, in the in the last say twenty years ago, they the history side was put to one side, shall we say? Ron Dennis was there to focus on Formula One. And the the heritage side was it, it was there, and they worked with us um, on on setting up the trust and such. But the, their focus was looking forward. Now come the McLaren Automotive side, which um, is, understands more the the need for the history and heritage to be there as well, because of like Ferrari has wonderful history, and I think that's why people buy Ferrari cars. Now that McLaren are selling the road cars, that history side is coming right to the fore again, and that is just wonderful to see that, and with Bruce's daughter Amanda working there now as, as a, an ambassador, it it's wonderful to see that side coming, they know how important that history is, um, so it's wonderful to have that recognition of it, it's
0: important. You are heavily involved with the Bruce McLaren Trust. What is its purpose? What is the goal of the trust?
1: It tries to achieve really just keeping the, that memory alive, um, to be able to teach future generations of the, the, the having a dream um, and believing in that dream and achieving it. So dream, believe, achieve applies so much to the children. Uh, the, the history of Bruce with what he did achieve, um, particularly from... Uh, the fact that he sort of uh, ended up with I use the word crippled children but because that's what they called them in those days but having the perthes disease and being tied to a, a bed frame literally for 2 years at at a young age of sort of 10 11 12 when a young boy is really just finding his feet and racing around uh, incredible to be able to teach the children of that legacy that it doesn't matter what happens to you in life you can still get out there and achieve what you want to do but you must have the dream and you must believe in yourself to do it and apart from that keeping all Bruce's wonderful um, collection of memorabilia alive and the 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 photography side the film side it's it's such a resource area for um, all the journalists the filmmakers the book writers, it, um, and then the car owners as well. It's amazing what little bits of history are there. So to be able to open the doors of a museum and say, come in and have a look, um, let's see what we can find that, that suits your project. We see young boys coming in from uh, design school, Massey, Massey University, um, and they pick on Bruce as the designer and they, they'll they take Bruce's old old car images and they'll take that design and take it through to the future so it's it's wonderful to be able to just let that thing happen and and uh and look after the history and heritage so it really is just keeping it there for for the future and uh being able to use it as a teaching and an education method you know teach the kids to don't go and hoon out on the road go to a racetrack learn to drive on this, keep your speed for the track, not for the road.
0: Jan, we're going nationwide. There'll be a lot of people listening to this today who love motorsport, who love Bruce McLaren because he just exemplifies everything wonderful about this particular country. There might be people out there that will want to be benefactors for the Bruce McLaren Trust. Are people able to do that?
1: Oh, uh, ab- absolutely. When you, when you run something as a charity, um, it's, uh, you, you're always needing the support it so uh, we've you know we we've managed so with uh, 20, 20 years since we started the trust and uh, it's it's certainly been a labor of love, but it's been wonderful to sort of join so many people together that and and share the experiences um help them with of oh, they've they've helped us a lot. Um, I've got one fabulous example of somebody has given us their film we put our, all our film into New Zealand Film Archives which once again is another charity and um, some of that film has been used for the new documentary and, and the, the member that actually sort of gave it that, he, he is so emotional about the fact that his little bit of film has been used in this new wonderful documentary about Bruce and it's sort of how how wonderful to be able to have given that Piece of pleasure to this gentleman who's who's got to be well in his 70s now. Um, it's very special to to open the McLaren doors for our members, uh, the, the privilege of of doing that. So, but yes, um, benefactors are always something we've looked for, and we've had wonderful supporters. Throughout the year, and, and our patron Sir Colin Giltrap has, has been a wonderful supporter all from day one. It's, it's very, very special. Well, but yes, any charity, always we're always on our knees looking for the next funding well, project. Well
0: look, well, look, Jan. How do people get in touch? How do people donate? How do people get involved?
1: Well, all our details are on our website, which is just bruce-mcclaren.com. And uh, or just Google Bruce McLaren, and you'll find it. Find us there, and all the contact details are on there. And uh, yes, always always looking for any little bit of support. It's wonderful.
0: Well, Jen McLaren, thank you for your time this afternoon. And once again, congratulations on your brother Bruce being inducted into the Indianapolis Auto Racing Hall of Fame.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure.